This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest ATP Tennis Radio podcast. I'm Seb Lozier and, well, the big news this week dropped on Wednesday when the ATP announced, along with the WTA, that they were extending the suspension of both tours with professional tennis now effectively suspended through to the 7th of June, meaning that the spring clay court swing will not be held as scheduled. The joint statement read, and I quote, This includes the combined ATP and WTA tournaments in Madrid and Rome, along with the WTA events in Strasbourg and Rabat, and ATP events in Munich, Estoril, Geneva and Lyon. The professional tennis season is then suspended through to the 7th of June 2020, including the ATP Challenger Tour and the ITF World Tennis Tour. At this time, tournaments taking place from the 8th of June 2020 onwards are still planning to go ahead as per the published schedule. In parallel, the FedEx ATP rankings and WTA rankings will be frozen throughout this period and until further notice. On the future, the statement continued, we are assessing all options related to preserving and maximising the tennis calendar based on various return dates for the tours, which remains an unknown At this time, we are committed to working through these matters with our player and tournament members and the other governing bodies in the weeks and months ahead. Now is not a time to act unilaterally, but in unison, all decisions related to the impact of the coronavirus require appropriate consultation and review with the stakeholders in the game. A view that is shared by ATP, WTA, ITF, the All England Lawn Tennis Club, Tennis Australia and USTA. So that is still, as we stand, the official latest news. You can keep up to date with all the very latest on the coronavirus situation on the ATP Tour website, atptour.com. That is where you'll also find the latest stories and news coming out of the tour. For example, how Rafa Nadal is offering refuge to the junior players stranded at the moment at his Rafa Nadal Tennis Academy in Mallorca. You can also read the social media posts of the week, as well as features with Gail Monfils, Dominic Team, and that man, Rafa Nadal. But we start this week's podcast with a fascinating take on the man right at the top of the game, the world number one, Novak Djokovic. Before play was halted this year, Djokovic was dominating, having won all 18 of his matches so far to scoop the ATP Cup, Aussie Open and the title in Dubai. One man who's worked with him closely in the past is former world number eight, Radek Stepanek, who learned a lot from his time with the Serb. It comes naturally for uh, for a lot of us, you know, who's been there uh, to pass the experience, to pass the message. Uh, and obviously when uh, Novak asked me straight away after the end of my career if I would, uh, you know, coach him I said uh, I knew him for uh, such a long time and I said uh, you know maybe it's difficult start to coach uh, the, the one of the best players uh, the game ever had you know I said why why me you know you've done it all for such a long time so why me 
And he said, you know, uh, I admired, you know, your dis discipline. Uh, you you had a, such a long career, so you had to do so many things right, you know, in order to play in 37, 38 years old on on a top level and giving us the best guys, you know, uh, trouble every single time we play. You saw tennis uh, with different eyes than uh, we do. You had a different game. So this is what I want to, you know, learn and this is what I want to implement in my game and learn. Obviously, you saw the net part different than the others. So I said, okay, I see what, what he wants from me. And uh, that's why I said, uh, you know, yes, I would, I would be able to, to help you. We started and uh, it's a completely different, uh, different life and different uh, mindset uh, to be a coach because suddenly you're not the center of the universe uh, like you're as a player, but uh, you're living a life of somebody else. And uh, since I had my team around me for 16, 17 years, so I, I got great advices uh, what to expect because uh, obviously they lift everything with me. And uh, since I started to coach, I, I was I had so many back back flashes uh, back to my career. I said, oh, I did these mistakes as well. I did this. I did this, and I saw it from the different perspective. And uh, you know, immediately after a couple of weeks, I said to my guys, you know, right now I really understand what you went through with me. So uh, that... I had the exact same experience. <laughs> <laughs> I totally did. So it helped me tremendously a lot. And, uh, you know, and uh, I'm, I'm enjoying it because when I feel I'm, I'm uh, able to pass and, I'm, and that the player is receiving uh, that uh, obviously... Uh, every single time it's challenging to coach somebody uh, you cannot coach uh, everybody the same way you have to learn first the person the player and then you know try to implement what is the best for him you cannot coach same way Novak same way some other person because every single player is unique and it's a unique approach so what, what Novak learned from you as far as seeing the net in a different way and kind of incorporating that transition game into his game, one, do you feel like you helped him with that? And two, just like, just like a player is going to learn from a coach, did, what do you feel like you learned from Novak that you feel like you can pass on from a number one player in the world? I think I spent uh, with uh, Novak uh, for very intensive months, uh, I would say in the worst time of his career. Uh, because he was injured for a long time, uh, underwent a surgery that was a very. It was for him for the first time. He was uh, seriously injured in his uh, in his career, and uh, you know I felt like uh, I can help him with uh, so many feelings he went through because he's uh, obviously very sensitive to this. He has a very healthy lifestyle, and uh, it was surprising for him that he can be injured. So he was struggling with that mentally he was, then. He was struggling uh. with that mentally. Uh, on the mental part I said you know let's get first 100% healthy and then you know you have a run for the rest of your career with your elbow so you know if we miss two three months it's fine you know but let's get fixed be 100% and then take off and he was rushing back uh, you know then he admitted that uh, it was a mistake that he's supposed to listen to me 
I said, it's fine, you know, uh, we all do the mistakes, but in, in the moment I felt that I'm not received. I said, it's better you go your, your own way, and my biggest help to you is that I leave. That's my biggest help. And obviously he got back. He got is that healthy. because he was too clouded by his injury? He, uh, it was not that he was clouded by his injury. He was uh, very stubborn okay. uh, in that moment. And I felt, uh, I felt I don't have an impact on that. And obviously, if you know, if you feel like that for quite uh, for a certain amount of time, then you realize, uh, you know, I, I don't have a feeling I'm helping. I'm either help or, my, or uh, I'm a part of the problem. Either way, and uh, you know, I said to Novak, I was with him honest since the first day. I said, I'm not here to tell you. You know the good things. I'm here to tell you things you don't want to hear, and uh, obviously the time has arrived. I wish it. Uh, we spent it. Uh, you know more time together, but uh, that's life, and I think uh, everything in life is happening for a for a reason. And I believe uh, he is back uh, where I believe he's supposed to be, and uh, I still believe that uh, he has a chance to be a player who has the most Grand Slams in the world. You do, yeah. And and so what do you feel like, what is it about the top that, because you were at the top too, what is it where you can get over into that top 10 where you can stay there? Uh, you know, to get there, I would say it's easier than to stay there. Uh, and uh, I believe that this uh, generation of players, uh, they don't, they're not consistent in what they're doing. Maybe they're consistent of practicing, but I believe that the biggest difference between the top player, top players and the rest is in the time, how they spend it off court. And uh, that's I truly and strongly believe that when the players are leaving the practice court, gym, you know, I said that everybody can practice four hours tennis, everybody can do uh, physical activity for next hours they can get treatments massage but the way they spend the time away from the court affects it a lot and, and so what should you do away from the court so uh, the focus you keep away from the court energy uh, management there is a lot of things you can do away from the court but it all has to have the right timing to do it and uh, I believe that the old generation of players uh, it's been so automatic for them and I believe that uh, you know these young guys they have so much to do away from the court that they get distracted very easily. Jill Krabus speaking with Radek Stepanek. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com This time last year, young American Francis Tiafo was preparing for what would ultimately be a run to the Miami Open quarterfinals, building on an Australian Open quarterfinal weeks earlier. Still only 22, TFO is one of a number of promising young stars coming through the ranks. Serve goes into the body. He's still working with a match point. He follows it up with a forehand, comes in again, gets passed though. Tiafo showing guts down to match point. Obviously, you know, tennis, I, you know, I didn't choose the sport by any means. Um, again, you know, I love to say it shows me. Big, big, big game. Uh, my dad 
um, you know, was a maintenance worker, you know, at a, at a club, at a big club in, in Maryland. Helped literally build a place. Um, club opened in 99. He asked, uh, you know, for me and my twin brother to come after school in 2001, and that's kind of how it happened. You know, CEO at the time was Martin Blackman, and he was, you know, nice enough to bring me and my twin brother every day after school for free, uh, free of charge, and, you know, that's kind of how the story goes. I mean, we go to school, and, and then after, we can't wait to get to the tennis courts. You know, we kind of tapped the ball against the wall early days of, you know, our lives a lot, almost every day, and, you know, we slowly start, you know, moving to the court, and, um, but it was fun, you know, a lot of time together, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of good memories, a lot of good brotherhood. You know, I kind of just made a decision. You know, I'm going to play every day, and, and I'm just going to keep getting better, keep getting better, and I'm, I'm going to chase a goal that sounds unrealistic now, but, you know, I'm going to turn it into reality pretty soon. So, you know, that's what I did. I stayed the course. You know, I, you know, I, had, a, I, had, a, I had a vision, and, you know, um, can't achieve anything if you don't dream it. It was, it was mainly for my family. You know, obviously that's, you know, early days of my career, you know, that's, that's, that's what it was about, you know, putting them in a better situation, you know, living-wise and, 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 and everything. Obviously, you know, that, that, was, that was the goal for me. Their goal was to just have me and my brother, you know, get a free scholarship. And I said, you know, that, 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 that sounds great, but I, I, there, there's so much more, so much more to get. And, um, yeah, you know, I kind of just made that decision pretty early. Family's always big, right? I mean, family's big in everybody's lives, obviously, you know, but, I mean, they sacrificed so much, you know, I mean, they grinded. Um, you know, my mom was working, you know, two jobs, being a nurse, just having a part with me and my brother in it. So, you know, she, she definitely did her, her work, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm truly thankful that they both, you know, put the time in and, you know, just try to make ends meet for us. Anything you want to achieve, you know, just, just be obsessed. You know, I was obsessed with playing tennis, you know, obsessed with watching it. You know, just being around the sport, learning, um, soaking everything up I can, and um, kind of just being your own coach out there. And but yeah, you know, anything you want to be great at, you know, you got to be obsessed about it. You know, it's got it's got to be a priority. You got to be able to sacrifice certain things. You know, not every, you know, I mean, you know, you can argue, you know, sacrifice, you know, doing normal things and just being a kid. But, you know, I felt like, you know, I was I was having the time of my life, so um, I was just really just enjoying it, and that's all I wanted to do. You know. But again, you know, I was, I was different than, you know, a lot of other kids. You know, I made a decision of what I wanted to do. You can argue at that age, you know, which is, uh, well, that's maturity in itself. I mean, you gotta, you gotta definitely wake up. <laughs> um, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely different because obviously uh, you're hiring, you're firing people, you're, you know, you have money coming in. You know, at times, you know, it could be bigger than, than others. And um, you gotta be able to, you know, cope with all that. You gotta be able to manage all that. Um, and then obviously, you know, popularity as you do well, and um, there's a ton of things you, you, you got to take in consideration, but um, it, it, it's all exciting times, and that's why you try to learn from the greats, um, see how they handle it, guys who have been great, you know, obviously I'm a massive fan of LeBron, you know, seeing, seeing their journey, how, how they went through it, because obviously there's obstacles in everybody's life, so um, seeing how they went through it, and that, that kind of, you know, paves the way for me. Parents, you know, wouldn't even let my head get big, I think they were just, yeah, um, you know, slap me across the face, <laughs> but no. But I think, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's really important. I mean, just to have people that just know you. I mean, for you. I mean, who knew friends to you for before that even meant anything. Um, so um, just just keeping a, a tight core of people and, and just remembering where you came from. I want to be known as a guy who's caring to fans, a guy who who, who wants to, you know, really really build an you know, unbelievable legacy through his community. My goal is to, you know, help, you know, more black people play tennis ultimately and, and, and just 
just to be that good role model, um, obviously. And, and also, you know, I think LeBron had an unbelievable point of, of being more than an athlete. Um, you know, do things that, you know, because at the end of the day, we're not just athletes. We don't just only play tennis or basketball or soccer, I think. Um, you know, athletes are capable of much more because obviously we have a big voice cause with, with, with the following and things like that. So that's what I want to be known for. The man guiding TFO's fortunes right now is coach Zach Evenden. Barry Cowan met up with Evenden and started by asking how a young British coach came to find himself in America. Pretty much I was at uh, Nationals under 18s and then I first, you know, college wasn't even a thought until then and uh, a college coach um, came up to me and, you know, the idea kind of came up and, you know, one thing led to another. So um, started to exploit that, ended up in America and I've been there ever since. Yeah, you found yourself at Florida Rattlers, is that right? Yeah, Florida A&M, um, the, the Rattlers. I was there for two years, from 2013 and 2014. Um, yeah, it was, it was good. It was a great experience. You know, I recommend it to anyone, um, you know, who isn't in that top-tier elite level uh, of tennis who's going to be able to, you know, get the wild cards and, you know, get the funding to, to go tennis. It's a great route, and uh, I recommend it to anyone. So then the decision after those two years... Was coaching always on your mind? Well, you know, obviously, unless, you know, something drastic came my way and, you know, a great um, bit of fortune came my way and, you know, someone came up and offered me funding to go go pro, that was always going to be my, my next move. So um, as I graduated, I got an offer to go and coach out in California and um, I took it. You know, I thought it was amazing. You know, I'm going to be making my own money and getting my own checks. And, you know, straight out of college, it's not always easy to find a job so I, I jumped at the first opportunity. So where did it go from California to meeting and coaching Francis Tiafo? So I was, I was out in California for three years coaching at Tompkins Tennis um, in the Bay Area, Northern California and then I moved to Saddlebrook in Florida so I was based in Tampa there and, um, but I met Francis uh, during my years um, in California actually and um, you know we grew close together there you know we always kept a good relationship um, I would speak to him quite often and then obviously as I moved to Florida where he was based you know we got closer and closer and things just progressed. Yeah I've been reading the, the Francis says you almost like brothers. Yeah 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 we are you know he's got a twin brother and I'm very close with my brother um, so you know it's, it's a tight family you know everyone's you know when we're together you can always tell that we're having a good time so you know it's always a good vibe. And how important is that to be able to separate the time between having fun because it's a life and it's why it's why Francis started playing tennis, but also having your business hat on? It's very important, um, you know, especially for Francis. You know, he's very unique, unlike some players who, you know, have their game face on 24-7. Um, so it's very unique. It's also something that, you know, we kind of thrive on. We bounce really well off each other. And that's mainly due to the vibe, you know, that we're giving. You know, if we're happy to be doing what we're doing and we're enjoying it, you're going to get a lot more out of us, as he's going to get a lot more out of me and I'm going to get a lot more out of him. Yeah, we often hear pressure. Is that pressure more from him himself because he knows what a talent he is? Um, I guess, I mean, look, yeah, definitely, you know, obviously, you know, in today, you know, everything's on social media. So, you know, you see a lot, you know, you get a lot of messages. There's a lot of hype going on, especially with him and his personality. He's, you know, you see him everywhere if he's done something good, you know. So 
definitely, you know, pressure from himself and from, you know, social media and others around him as well. Talking about Francis as a, as a person and as a player, we often see some players that really break through quickly, but they have sort of one way of playing. But a lot harder for Francis because he can play in so many different ways. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, that's definitely been something we've been dealing with is, you know, getting him to stick to what he's best at, stick to his favourites. He has so much variety, you know, with the forehand, with the heavy spin ball, with the big drive ball. Backhand to his backhand's improved a lot this year. You know, he likes to use the slice, he likes to come in. You know, his movement is great, so he likes to grind certain times. He's got so much variety and so many areas that he can still improve on. So, you know, it is taking a little bit more time, but when it comes, it's, it's going to be worth it. Anything you guys disagree on off, uh, off the court? Uh, we, we definitely go back and forth because we're so close, you know. Like, for instance, if I call him out on something, he wants to prove me wrong and vice versa. So it's, it's, it's more we, we challenge each other and that's, that's the way I would put it as opposed to, you know, arguing or disagreeing. It's more of a challenge and uh, just constant banter. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. One of TFO's good friends on tour is fellow American Taylor Fritz. And recently, ATP Uncovered spent some time with the Californian native to get a better gist of some of his more creative tweets, famously ranging from Star Wars to good old banter with friends Mackie McDonald, Marty Fish and Riley Apelka. When I do anything on social media, it's like more of like a, an occasion, I guess. But yeah, if it's not like an, a special occasion, I just kind of keep it spontaneous because I don't want to like overthink it. Probably just like the conversations I have with my friends and like, you know, we all we all mess with each other and like rip on each other and like each, with each other's posts. So I think I think that's pretty fun. This was at Memphis the year I made the final and I was finishing all my matches at like 12 at night, then going to eat. Uh, so I was, I was getting ice out of the, the ice dispenser at like 2 a.m. in the morning to take an ice bath. It's nighttime right now, and what I'm doing is just preparing for my routine ice bath. Pretty much every night before I play, I'm ready to go make sure the, uh, the legs are fresh for tomorrow. One of the nights, someone called security on me in the, in the middle of me doing it. So security came while I was like trying to get ice from my ice bath. So I was saying like, hopefully no one calls security on me again. <laughs> How many days can I hold out? Not ah, yes. Just recently got a new car. <laughs> Marty wanted to troll me and say I got a, a Corvette. Which I responded, no respect, as in no respect that uh, he doesn't think I'd actually get a, <laughs> a better car. But uh, I can confirm that I lasted about three days before I ate in the car. Lakers game, that was pretty basic. This is uh, talking about like occasion, you know. You don't run into uh, Federer and, and Tommy Haas at Laker game that often, so I just, you know, tweeted about that. It's pretty cool. Mackie, he tweeted, excited to kick off my TV career. So he's commentating. I remember he did a Taste of Tennis interview. I wish I could pull it up, where he was just like really, really struggling to answer a question. Like, it was really funny. Tonight I got some good pasta and had some good boss water. <laughs> uh, we were making fun of him for that, and so I said, whatever you do, don't think of the Taste of Tennis interview while you're commentating. Yeah, I just never watched Star Wars ever. I guess it's kind of like young for it, I guess. So like by the time like I was of age to like, I guess be watching it, they were already in like the fourth or fifth one. So I never just started on it. So my flight to Australia that year had everything. So I was like, you know, maybe I'll just 
you know, watch them all. I think I did watch them all, yeah. I watched like three on that flight and I think I continued afterwards to finish them all. Dasha tweeted at me saying I look like this actor. I think his name's Noah, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but said not seeing it. I've had a lot of people say that. I've had a couple people say this actually. And uh, uh, I'm not sure, not sure. I'm not, I'm not totally sure. My Uber driver is singing to me right now. It was, it was kind of weird. I just got off this like 12 hour flight back from, uh, let me see what time of the year this was. This was October. So I just got back from Europe actually. Um, and I was so tired. I was in the car driving back. It's like a 45 minute drive from the airport to my house. And he just starts singing like drift away, like very like, not like humming it, like really singing it. And I was just kind of like, <laughs> I was kind of trying to decide if I should record it or not. This is my favorite one. I think this is my pin tweet here. Riley, he's go to just like absurd lengths to like just do funny things really. He custom ordered a pair of um, shoes, like Vans almost, with a picture of, of, of me on it. It's just, it's pretty funny. <laughs> and you can still check out that pinned tweet on Taylor's Twitter account. That's at Taylor underscore Fritz. 97. On iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com, this is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Another player active on social media is double specialist Jamie Murray, who also posts instructional videos on his YouTube channel. I spent some time with him in tournament mode and he kindly taught me through one of the most skillful elements of the game. Hi, I'm Jamie Murray, and today I'm going to give you a couple of exercises to help improve your net game. You know, I like to have my outside foot in the middle of the service box as a starting point. At the sound of the serve, uh, I like to move forward, take a step forward to be closer to the net to kind of give uh, less um, space for the returner to hit into. You know, try to kind of put good pressure on the returner, try to force them to go for something a bit more than they, they would normally and try to force them. Because a lot of doubles is like that. It's not necessarily about you know hitting you know winners it's more about kind of you know pressure forcing your opponent to to miss i think in in doubles i would say most matches are probably won and lost on second serve points one um i think most guys with the first serve goes in are probably around like 75 80 percent success but in the second serve it can it can vary a lot and that's where um, you know that's where you can win and you know a lot of guys say you're only as good as your as your second serve you know, and obviously second serve you're probably going to have to do more first volleys because chances are the ball will, will come back so uh, you know first volley is super important I would say um, getting your plays right as, as well again it's all about you know variation trying to again force force guys into making shots they they don't want, they don't want to play that's what that's what it's all about and you know if you can keep your unforced errors low and make your opponent have, you know, have a high error count, then that's going to be in your favour. When you're returning serve, um, what are you looking to do with the ball? Again, like, it depends because sometimes, like, you know, if you're playing, if I'm playing kind of singles guys who don't feel comfortable at the net, often, like, we try to return at them down the line uh, off the serve, especially on second serve. Um, a lot of the singles guys, they're better when they're moving because they're not used to being static on the court. Um, so when the ball's coming at them from a static position, they're they're not always so so good at that. Uh, I think for me, like in my game particularly, like I have a lot of variation in my play. Like I I use my lob return a lot to to bump it over the net guy's head, and then I can come into the net after that. 
do like to return down the line as well. My forehand, I, I, I block a lot, so um, you know I try to hold it as much as I can and then play play the right side um, to avoid the avoid the net guy. Um, yeah, that's my, that's my answer. Just finally, um, in terms of coaching and training, rather for, for doubles, are there specific drills that you need to do? Parts of the body that you need to hone specifically for the doubles? Uh, well, I think doubles more explosive movements. You know, a lot of you know serve and then run fast to the net. Then there's a lot of lunging. You got to get back for the smash, hit the smash, then react quickly to get back into to net to to your position. Um, so there's a lot of like in the gym especially we see more sort of like power movement supply metrics things like that um, in terms of like exercises on the core I mean I practice my reflexes a lot basically simple stuff just you know I, I'm standing close to the net good athletic position and then I'm having my coach like feeding balls fast from the from the baseline and then just reacting to that judging the ball as well because you know often like you're when you're close to the net it's not as easy to kind of judge if the ball's going out or not um, and of course if you're you know if you're adept at leaving balls that are going out you know that's your point without having to touch the ball so that's uh, that's a big uh, a big plus as well yeah. for young players out there um, what do you think young players can get from playing doubles well I think it helps develop your all-round game I mean you see now on the tour I mean no one really likes to come to the net anymore you know guys don't feel confident up there at all um, and I think playing a lot of doubles will will help your your skills around the net whether that's you know like first volleying or reflexes or you know what whatever I think um, it's just more skills in your your locker that you can use to against your opponent which at the end of the day is what it's uh, is what it's about Our thanks to Jamie Murray. Alas, my net game needs a lot more work. From the doubles game back to singles and a recent world number three who knows a thing or two about serve and volley. Wow, what a point, Milos Raonic. Well, we've seen a couple of beauties at the net. I watched a lot of Pete Sampras' matches. I videotaped them on VHS. Uh, whenever I could watch them, I'd have to stay up late at night watching mostly his matches from the Australian Open, Wimbledon, the US Open. And the one that really stood out that I saw the most times was in 2000 when he beat Pat Rafter in the finals of Wimbledon in five sets to break the Grand Slam record with his 13th slam. When I had to make that decision, my parents did want me to go to school. They're both engineers, both very well educated. Didn't think about venturing ever into sport. They always supported me, but as soon as I decided, hey, I'm going to play pro tennis, they were always incredibly supportful of that. Art is something that's really grown on me over the last years. I've started to collect whenever I'm in cities that have good galleries or good museum showings. I make the effort to take time to develop a more personalized taste of the different things that I like and also to take time to read a lot about it, to learn more about the artists also and the progression of art over the last couple centuries. I wore a mouth guard for a couple years. I still wear it when I sleep. I was wearing it at one point when I was even playing matches. I have a tendency when I play matches or when I'm doing a lot of thinking, just when I might be sitting down, I grind my teeth. So it was just to give some relief to my jaw and not have those muscles always tightening up. 
I was born in Montenegro. My parents moved uh, in 1994 when I was three years old to Canada. It was in the midst of the war of former Yugoslavia splitting up and my parents wanted to give us another opportunity somewhere else because it was uh, becoming a trying time there. There was bombings going on, there was a lot of war, a lot of a lot of family members that were participating in the war as well. So for them, that was the opportunity to give us a fresh start. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Cast your memory back to Miami 2019. And in the early rounds, the great Roger Federer stood on the brink of a massive upset. Here comes Federer, scoops it up. The stretch from Albert, here goes cross-court. This is wonderfly entertaining stuff from Rado Albert. Set point to the qualifier against Roger Federer. He doesn't wait for the crowd to silence. He is ready to serve. Albot with the first serve. He gets it. The stretch from Federer. It's long and there it is. Rado Albot fist pump. He looks towards his box. He stares towards his box. 35 minutes played and it's the qualifier from Moldova, Rado Albot, who takes the first set against Roger Federer, 6-4. Federer takes his very early slaps, the off forehand back, backhand centre of the court from Albot, inside out forehand from Federer, Federer thought about coming in, now he does, inside in from Federer, backhand volley from Federer, the winner! He shouts, come on, he pumps his fist and we're going to a decider, Federer wraps up set two in 49 minutes by seven games to five. It's Roger Federer, seventh game, 30-15. Serves, block back, serve volley point. Moldova puts the lob up. Federer puts the smash. Oh, he didn't hit it right. Oh, he's passed. Rado Albot took advantage. Passed Federer. It's 30 all. Federer waits. Albot reaches with the serve. Clips the top of the net and drifts well wide. Back he goes, Albot. In he comes, Federer. He'll step up, put pressure on the Moldovan serve. Here comes Federer. Plays the backhand, floats it, pushes the Moldovan back into an inside-out forehand. Flick backhand back onto the line from Federer. Federer with another backhand, just floating that ball back. Federer, then he adds it and ramps up the backhand. It comes down the middle of the court, it misses, and Federer's got the break. He's a game away from the win. 5-3-40-15. Federer serves out wide. It comes back on the forehand. It's into the tram lines and relief on the face of Roger Federer together with a fist bump. He's come through a really tricky test against Rado Albot. Game, set, and match, Roger Federer smiles all round. But it's the three-time champion that closes things out. He gets the win. He gets his campaign up and running. 4-6-7-5-6-3. Federer would go on to win the title in Miami. So close for Albot, who only a month before had won his first ATP Tour title in Delray Beach. And he'd build on those performances throughout the year to become the first Moldovan to crack the top 100 in the FedEx ATP rankings. ATP Uncovered spent time with the Moldovan and it turns out a passion for tennis had always been in the blood, as Gabriel Clark explains. My father watched uh, tennis on TV. He really liked the sport and uh, he decided that uh, his son should also try and he found a tennis club in Moldova, and that's where I started my first tennis lessons. Tennis is a very expensive sport, especially back then. It was something like new for our country. Not everybody could afford this, and uh, that's why it was a bit difficult times for, for me and for my parents. They sold the apartment to, to invest in me. Sometimes my father would sleep in the tent when I was playing tournaments under 16. I would sleep on the mattresses in the basketball hall, and also at one stage in my career after I finished to play juniors. I was thinking to, to quit because I didn't have really good results, but I got support from my parents and they believed in me and they asked me to continue, so I tried one more time. 
and that second time was the charm for Elbot. But the transition to becoming a top 100 player was far from smooth. If we talk about the life on the tour and how I got to, to play on B Corps, it was a long, long journey. I was losing a lot of first rounds. The key is confidence in the game. Even when you're losing, you still believe and you're like so sure that you'll make it. All the time I was thinking that my game is pretty good. I was thinking that I belong. Unfortunately, I was not there. It was just like only a thought or only a goal. But starting the Delaware Beach, something went very good. After 11 years on the ATP Tour, Radu had his breakthrough moment, winning his first ATP title at Delray Beach last year. It's not so easy to explain the words, you have to feel it's like such an achievement, like inside you feel so proud and when you know how much work you put in and how many weeks you practice and how hard you're putting the hours on the tennis court and finally win a, a good tournament. I can play with anybody on tour now and I feel that I'm playing better than ever. I'm happy that I have the results that I achieved so far and I'm hoping that I'll have even better results in the future. That is it for this week. Join us next week for more interviews and insight with the game's top players, as well as all the latest, of course, on the coronavirus pandemic and how it is affecting tennis. For all the latest news, you can also go to atptour.com or you can ask your smart speaker, if you have one, to play the tennis news. I'm Seb Lozier. You've been listening to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. Stay healthy. Join us next week. If you like this podcast, please search the iTunes store for ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review. review.